Let's talk about trust, or more accurately, the lack of it. Zero trust is the notion that just because someone has tunneled a VPN to your front door, you shouldn't give them full access to everything on the network. A zero trust model is supposed to give you more fine-grained control around who gets to touch what based on criteria you choose, including the user, the device, the location, the application type, whether that app is on-premises or in the cloud, and so on. The problem is that while zero trust may sound good, it can be difficult to implement, so in this episode we're going to dive into the tricky bits of zero trust and figure out ways to make it feasible in your environment. Our guest is Jay Klauser. He is VP of Worldwide Sales Engineering and Alliances at NetMotion. NetMotion is our sponsor for today's show. Uh, Jay, welcome to the show. And to get us started for just a minute, can you tell us a little bit about NetMotion's background? Because you guys have, I guess, a heritage in VPN and connectivity. No, that's absolutely right. So we've really specialized in working with uh, industries that have you know, the most difficult networking conditions for almost 20 years now. So, um, you know, the, the, the thing is we've been, we've been providing secure, remote, and resilient connectivity for industries like law enforcement, first responders across the board, utilities. And it, it, it's nice because really what's happening more recently is I feel like the, the industry has, has come to us a little bit, right? We've been perfecting and providing this capability to these you know, industries that can't compromise for a long time. And now that we're, we're seeing that uh, remote working and, and that is becoming much more, you know, critical and, and it's not an afterthought anymore at industries or at enterprises. Uh, you know, we've yeah. been doing this for a long time. I think that's interesting. One thing is that there's a lot of new companies entering into this space of the software-defined perimeter and NetMotion puts an agent on the edge device. And that's what we'll be talking more about in the technology section but what also struck me about this is that you've been doing it for resiliency and security. So your goal has been to give first responders or unique uh, hard env harsh environments where they need internet access that is secure but resilient. And one of the unique things that we've talked about in previous shows with NetMotion is the fact that your VPN is so mature that it actually roams around between networks. So if it goes off the 3G onto a Wi-Fi to a coffee shop, to a broadband, it just holds the connection up. And that's sort of that resilient feature. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, we've always kind of looked at, at our solution sweet spot is really security combined with uh, employee experience, right? So you're absolutely right. So our client, it is an endpoint client. It really provides a very smooth and seamless transition uh, for, you know, uh, employees or for users that are working across multiple networks provides complete, you know, seamless roaming. So there's no application interrupts, uh, you know, so it, yeah, it just makes for a bit of a, a you know, an intersection mm -hmm. of experience plus security. So I want to drill into this idea about how you work. So NetMotion's been building this VPN functionality from the edge to the network. Let's just drill in a little bit on how the technology works. So maybe the first step to start with is how you connect users to the VPN. Now this starts with a client on the device, right? It does. Yep. So that client, uh, that client on the device, you know, makes a, a secure, obviously encrypted tunnel connection to our gateway. And and the nice thing is our gateway is, you know, kind of where the customer needs it to be. So we have a flexible mm -hmm. deployment. It can be hosted by us. It can be uh, in a cloud, Azure, AWS, pick your, pick your cloud provider or on-premise. And, and, you know, we have customers that use a mix of those. Uh, but essentially, you know, we've, we've got a uh, patented protocol that allows mm -hmm. us to uh, make that connection Securely now we're using obviously industry standards from a security standpoint, you know AES encryption and uh, mm -hmm. FIPS verified encryption. But in the end, 
yeah, the client connects to our gateway. And then from there, you know, we're able to publish a very rich set of policy controls down to that endpoint controller. And that's hmm. where all the decisions are made, which is a bit of a, uh, a difference than, uh, you know, than some solutions where we actually inspect the traffic real time on the endpoint and make a decision whether it should be blocked, optimized, prioritized, deprioritized, right? So we're doing that all on the endpoint in real time. And so the opposing way to do that, which some SDP vendors do, is they just trunk all the traffic up into the cloud. And then it, when it gets into the cloud, then they can do something about it. But at that point, the traffic has left the device, traversed the network. It might be in some sort of HTTPS, TLS session, or it might not even be that. It might have just rolled over the local network until it got where it needed to be. Um, that feels to me like a better way to do something than perhaps the other approach. Is there like a specific advantage? Because um, if I'm on one hand, if I'm doing the inspection locally, I'm burning CPU cycles at the edge. But on the other hand, I also get control and visibility that I don't otherwise get. Is there? That's a trade-off, right? It is. It's a. It's a trade-off. I would say you know burning the CPU cycles, um, you know, is one thing. But I think one of the things you know we, as I mentioned, right, we've been we've been doing this for a long time, and and certainly things like battery life and data uh, being very you know date basically transmitting data across any mobile device is very expensive to the battery. So, you know, kind of the flip side of burning those CPU cycles is we also are able to make that decision right on the endpoint. We don't have to send it off to the cloud somewhere to make the decision. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, the advantage is, I think, you know, you, you kind of touched on it actually, is, is mm. that visibility. So, you know, the ability to have broad visibility across all of the, uh, basically the network calls, the network destinations, the, you know, and being able to look at that real time on the endpoint uh, makes for, you know, a much more optimized experience. It happens a little bit faster, so to speak. Mm, yeah, uh, you yeah. save all of those bits and bytes sent up to, to make a decision at, at a proxy in the cloud somewhere. And then kind of the side benefit of that is that ability to give that visibility whether you actually want to send it through a proxy or not, right? Okay. So you, we actually have the ability to say, hey, you know, I still want to, to have a, a record of the fact or a log that they made a connection to, you know, whatever the endpoint is, the cloud service. But I don't necessarily want that going through my backbone or even through the cloud service that, that I have because, yeah. again, there's, there's cost involved in that. There's performance involved in that. So we actually are able to, to take a look at that, give that visibility, still send it right back out the, uh, you know, the 5G or the, or the, the, you know, the network they're on, but not necessarily mm -hmm. have to, uh, you know, have to uh, send that through the backbone. Yeah, I remember when you were talking to me about how the VPN worked, I actually whispered to myself, this is technology for dumb customers. And not dumb as in stupid, but dumb as in, I don't want to know how this technology works. I shouldn't have to work how the levers work. And the challenge here is that your edge device client. So this software that goes into the edge device has to be really sophisticated and stable. How do you go about, and the way that NetMotion works is you actually put a proxy into the stack. So it actually, so when you put the software on the edge device, you know, laptop, smartphone, whatever it is, you're actually putting a proxy in there. What are you doing to make that proxy, well, reliable or make that client reliable and best in class? Because I really need to trust that. Yeah, I mean, you know, certainly, as you can imagine, right, looking at, at where we kind of got our start and we've, we've broadly deployed across the enterprise by and large. But, um, I mean, part of it is just, you know, 
how we have approached software and, and development from from the beginning is uh, you know stability, reliability, kind of that that ability to really work in the background uh, has been key to our success in those industries. And, and you know, we've got uh, you know a broad range of of deployment models, and I think options for customers. So you kind of mentioned that, you know, that mm-hmm. ability to be very confident in the fact that it's going to be resilient and it's going to work. I mean, part of that just goes into um, kind of how, you know, how we've had to, um, to, to provide that ability for those, those industries that can't compromise, right? Uh, mm, we, we work yeah. across, you know, I'll give you an example, an airline industry where we're heavily deployed across airlines. And Part of that is just because you know they they actually are in a position where when there's a delay, you know somebody has to be accountable for that delay, and a lot uh-huh. of the times there's uh, yeah. you know they, they they blame the network because it's the easy thing, right? <laughs> and so we yeah. kind of give that ability to to one make make their connections resilient, but secondly to provide that deep visibility into how the networks were performing. So that, you know, they can understand if there was truly some sort of networking issue or it was something further up the chain, right? So, um, you know, having that resiliency and having that, that uh, accountability and reliability has been critical to our success for sure. So you're saying there's an aspect here that's either yeah, mean time to innocence in that I can show that it wasn't the network that caused this slowdown in an application pipeline, uh, or I can get more insight into if it is a networking problem, how to troubleshoot? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, beyond, again, just because of the industries have demanded it that we've been in, that visibility is not just about what's been happening on the network, right? Not not just what they accessed and what application they were using. We actually look at and continually kind of sample the network statistics uh, so that you know, you know, were they on Wi-Fi or cellular? Were they bouncing back and forth you know, between Wi-Fi and cellular, and maybe mm-hmm. that thrashing between networks is is playing into the issue that they're having. You know, with with work from home becoming so prevalent, and as I mentioned before, work from home always kind of used to be a hey, it's a best not not a best effort, but it's kind of like a privilege, right? And if mm-hmm. you're working from home, you expect a base level of issues. We've now seen that now companies have had to very quickly pivot to they have to work from home, mm-hmm. and so you know you have people that are working you know, outdoors on their deck and, and their, their signal strength, their DB level, their RSSI connection to their Wi-Fi network is very slow, right? Those are things that, that, that normally you wouldn't be able to measure and, and look back on. And we collect all that data over time. So when somebody's having an issue, you actually can see the, the networking conditions and the metrics of what was happening at the time that they were having that issue. So like if an end user calls up to complain to the help desk, hey, the network is slow, you can actually drill in and say, the throughput's fine. The problem is there's a weak uh, wireless signal. Yeah, exactly. Okay, right. and so, then uh, maybe a little nudge. To, why don't you sit at the kitchen table instead of your deck? That's right. Yeah, where were you sitting? Oh, we were, you know, <laughs> sitting uh, sitting out on the deck enjoying, uh, you know, a beer in the afternoon, right? So <laughs> that, that two and o'clock that's, margarita. That's, actually, that's got real value operationally because that visibility. That, so you've actually got sort of an analytics engine in there as well. It's not just a straight up VPN with centralized control. There's actually a whole bunch of visibility in there. It must be. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And, and, you know, again, it just, that's, that's where I go back to that heritage. It's really driven out of 
these are the kind of, you know, we have made this product as resilient as it can be, but hey, in the end, there's always some things that you can't overcome from a network level if there is no network, if it's, you mm-hmm. know, and so the, our customers have demanded and said, wouldn't it be great if you could show me X, right? And that's what we built out and been adding to that toolbox, um, you know, to the point that exactly what you, know, you were mentioning, you kind of get those, those statistics and those metrics on an ongoing basis, so you could actually give me statistics, and I guess at the, this makes sense because you've got, you're using a proxy architecture at the edge. As the packets flow through the proxy, you can actually be monitoring the application response time for core line of business applications. My Oracle, my web browser to, you know, an internal intranet of some sort, or what you know, I've got some middleware in the in the head office, and you know, I can actually see the response time of the application versus the response time of the of the network itself, per se. Yeah, yeah. Even down to the point where we've got, uh, you know, a capability where our customers will build out test scripts, essentially, to say, Mm. you know, this group of users, right, utilize, you can pick three, four apps, however many you want, really. And you can kind of do a, a, almost like a run down the network stack, right? So, you know, whenever they're having an issue, when we detect an issue, which we can do pretty easily, or users can run it, it'll say, you know what, let me do an initial ping, right? If pings allowed, right? Sometimes it's not... If that, let me do a DNS lookup. Maybe it's maybe I can get to the server, but I can't resolve the name. Mm-hmm. That works. Let me do a, you know, a TCP port connect to whatever port the app's on. And so you kind of can go down the stack of, of yeah. the application availability, and then we'll provide a root cause that says, you know what? I wasn't able to you know, uh, resolve the name of the server. Then you likely have a DNS issue. We take that so full snapshot of the network stack on the device at the time that was happening. So that's a synthetic test. I can actually do some synthetic test. Sounds like it's not a complete feature to me from what you said, or unless I'm misunderstanding, but you can actually say, I can write a script that the client will run, which then mm-hmm. moves into the concept of a synthetic transaction platform. Yeah, it actually will utilize the, the you know, from the endpoint. So it tests it from the endpoint. It'll run mm-hmm. through all of those tests you define right in the, in the background. The user doesn't even need to know what's happening. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we detect an issue, IT could, you know, the help desk could get an email, you know, processed through their help desk ticketing system that says, you know, Bob uh, was having an issue connecting to XYZ app this afternoon, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I'm picturing that meme that I see on Twitter all the time about DNS, that it's always DNS, so that's probably a good script to run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> I was actually thinking someone popped up in my Twitter feed today saying he's working from home. And he's starting to go a bit, uh, a bit stir crazy from sitting in the. He has a basement office, and it's, you know, it's not very. <laughs> it's a basement. And he's going a bit, and he's got. And somebody popped up and said, "Well, why don't you spend half a day a week or two half days a week working from a local coffee shop or something?" And I was actually thinking, you know, that whole idea of once you're distributed, well, I don't like to call it remote work or working from home because it really is that you could just as equally be working from a, uh, a hacienda in southern Spain in the Spain in the Spanish Pyrenees quite my idea of remote working, I must say, <laughs> uh, given a choice. and uh, But I could easily be at home, but then I would, could be working at a coffee shop just to stay sane and get out and remind myself that other humans exist. Or maybe I go to a local co-working facility two days a week to get a change of scene. Yep. Uh, it's not home, it's just distributed work. I mean, you could be anywhere doing anything. And you know, as somebody who's used co-working facilities and various serviced offices over the years, the network connections in those places are variable, shall we say. A lot of those companies didn't take internet seriously and still don't. You know, just, uh, it'll be all right. We'll put a couple of 
consumer broadband connections in and call it done. <laughs> yeah, and that's the biggest challenge right now, right? I mean, I think I think so many so many companies we hear this all the time. They've been kind of thrust into this this you know situation where they had to go from. 20, 30% of their users, and really that's all they scaled the remote access infrastructure out to, to 100% of workers working remotely. And again, it's it's no longer a, a kind of a privilege to work from home, it's a necessity. And so, let, you know, not only do we have- a weird, Let me ask a weird question or reverse question here, if I may. Yeah. Um, how many customers are actually just using your um, software-defined perimeter from the campus itself? I mean, doesn't the campus network just become a low-cost- internet access? So if people are in the office, so they just connect to the VPN as well? Or are they still using the campus as a trusted network or assumed to be trusted network? You know, I, I think it, that's a bit, it's kind of what that journey that we're, t- that we're I'm sure we're going to touch on. But I would say most customers still on campus are, you know, trusting the, the network on campus mm-hmm. now and, and, and are, have, impl- have us implemented as a remote access solution. So when off campus. But the nice thing is, you know, we... We do have that ability to detect when you're on campus. So, so the nice thing is we can actually detect that. That's part of our policy engine. When you're on campus, just kind of sh- you know, shut down our, our, our networking piece, but keep the client connected so that we detect when you go off campus, we kind of don't miss a beat, right? And we're, we're right back providing uh, you know, remote access connectivity, e- either in a full traditional VPN sense or from a software-defined or ZTNA sense. But I do foresee, right, after mm-hmm. companies tackle getting remote access really built out in a zero trust network access model, that is the next step. You hit on something really key because, you know, just we can't just assume because you've plugged into the network on premise or found a way to connect to the corporate Wi-Fi that you're, you know, a trusted device, right? right. Um, so, it's, yeah. It's, as we, I mean, it just strikes me as I'm talking to you now that as we move if you get, say, more than half of your people using a VPN agent like NetMotion on their devices and you have an increasing amount of stuff in the cloud, so you're reusing it to access some software as a service, you know, SAP, Salesforce, Office 365, some sort of, you know, accounting, remote accounting system, you know, whatever it might be. Um, the purpose of, if I was a somebody coming into the office, I would probably just still fire up the VPN and get moving because I actually don't. Um, I'd forget that the campus is plug and play. I'd probably run it up. And at some point it becomes pointless to have the campus doing anything different. It becomes highly expensive to run a campus network with assumed trust and all these controls. Surely it might just be easy to say, let my, you know, net motion solution do all of that security and trust for me. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Right. And, and, you know, just becomes, uh, especially like remote offices, branch offices, right? Why, why maintain all of that expensive, difficult to manage, you know, direct links to, you know, maybe a data center that, like you said, is no longer housing mm-hmm. the, the bulk of my, of my, uh, you know, processing and of my resources, you know, as you move to the cloud, it's almost say, Hey, Let's put in a, a decent, uh, just general internet connection at our branch offices, and like you said, let NetMotion, you know, provide connectivity and and uh, mm. you know reliability and and security to whatever they need to uh, to to connect to, whether that's back in some data center in a private cloud or you know a SaaS solution. 
So I want to start to yeah, yeah. the campus. I say it's definitely anti-campus. Greg, don't let's not let him ride that unicorn too hard. The anti-campus <laughs> unicorn. Um, I want to drill a little bit more to this notion of zero trust access because we've been throwing around the term VPN, and when I hear that, I think okay, IPsec tunnel back to my data center from wherever I'm working, and maybe a split tunnel capability if I need to get out to a, a SaaS app or something over the internet. But we're talking about something a little bit more fine grained, a little bit more. There's a little bit more distinction here. Definitely, right? So, I mean, I think the the traditional model of the, the castle and moat is, as we're probably all familiar with, you know, when we talk about VPN, we almost think of, hey, you know, let's connect. I mean, maybe you have, um, I don't know, multi-factor authentication, something like that. But once you're in, you're in. You have an IP address on the network, right? If you fired up a port scanner, you'd be able to, you know, kind of discover other things on the mm-hmm. network, mm-hmm. right? It's just that implicit trust. Once you, you know, you're, you're trusted rather than, right? Zero trust is obviously the, the opposite of that. It, even though you have connected to the remote access solution, right? In this case, NetMotion, we actually are going to have a zero trust posture and say, unless you are in a group, unless we can prove trust, you're on a, a particular network, it's the right time of day, right? All these different factors, it's the right application, um, we're not going to allow a connection to anything until mm-hmm. you've established that trust. And then once we do allow a connection, it's a very specific connection from the application to the specific resource you need to get to, right? So the, the, I think the, the, for a technical group, the easiest way to, to show that is through something like a port scanner, right? You have a traditional VPN mindset, you turn a port scanner on, it's going to be able to discover MAC addresses and operating systems and all these things mm-hmm. in your network. You, you, you turn on a zero trust network access solution and you fire a port scanner and it's blank, right? Your, your yeah. network's basically undiscoverable. I mean, it is, it is an interesting challenge because there is obviously for a lot of people whose campus networks are holding legacy kit, I'm thinking of hospitals, you know, with mm-hmm. various pieces of imaging equipment that have no concept of, I think the campus is going to continue, but equally I could have a situation where the campus becomes a very different, I don't have to over-invest in complex security technologies and content inspection technologies, if a large number of my workers um, just move to using a software-defined perimeters, a lot of workers in a very few devices in a company are actually insecure or in you know need the physical access controls. That is, yeah. if I can plug it into the network, it works, and it's assumed to be safe once it's connected. Well, maybe you could just de-emphasize all of that and move to a different operational model where only printers and legacy devices are actually assumed physical trust, but users have to use the VPN client. And that changes your security model, also changes your costing model. But I guess this flips me around to the difficulties of building a zero trust network in practice. I've got to get to all of the user's devices and install this software. And then I have to start profiling apps. I need to know who's using them. I've got a whole bunch of stuff. How hard is it in network motion land to build out a zero trust system because there's a whole lot of stuff going on there that never used to happen. Yeah. No, and, and you know, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head, right? The zero trust, you look at any of the, the analysts and all that out there, right? They're going to say ZTNA is a journey. It's not a flip of a switch. And, you know, probably the biggest challenge to that is, is kind of the application mapping. Mm-hmm. And, and, and as I mentioned, I, you know, you hear a lot of customers kind of getting in the analysis paralysis. They, they start down it and, you know, they started saying, man, this is hard, right? It's hard to understand exactly what applications each person needs to get to. And that's just kind of a principle of zero trust. And so, you know, what we find is customers start to to go down that path and then they kind of get caught up on, on not wanting to take the leap, so to speak. 
Um, and that's where, you know, hopefully we provide a, a with all of that visibility we've been talking about, the application flows, what applications are using, we map to, you know, Active Directory and all that. So you can see, you can map to different groups and different, different organizations within a company. That visibility becomes key because that's something where you can start to look at, you know, what are people using, right? We make that, that, that ability and that work of trying to make a guess or a best estimate as to what apps each team's using on a regular basis, uh, the finance team, the accounting team, the, mm-hmm. the sales team, the maintenance team, right? That all becomes very clear and evident in the reporting. And, and so it kind of, inte- instead of flipping the switch to ZTNA, you got a bit, bit of a, uh, a slider or a dial, right? So you can say, <laughs> you know what? Okay. I've, got, I've got a group that they, they, we know they only use three apps, great, let's take that group and make them zero trust first, right? And instead of trying to, quote unquote, boil the ocean, we're just, we're going to take it in sizable chunks and actually start making progress. And I think that's kind of a key piece to having a platform that, that provides that broad, uh, you know, the broad capabilities and the broad remote access options to say, you know, I got a group that, that they've been VPN, they, they need that for now. I don't have to just flip everybody at once, or I don't have to have two products that, try to coexist and kind of trip over each other, work together with NetMotion. It's kind of one platform that gives you, you know, takes you from point A to point B during that zero trust journey. So to, to work this out, I could deploy NetMotion to all my users, essentially just set them up VPN, access everything. And then as I sort of process through, sort of run it in, you know, alert only mode or whatever, build up my application picture, my usage picture, maybe bring in, you know, whatever structures I've already got in Active Directory or whatever else I'm using, and then start to build out more fine-grained policies as I go. Is that the idea? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Exactly, yep. Not a scorched-earth deployment model. You know, <laughs> yeah, you yeah, no. Buy new, <laughs> new hardware and custom software and bring them all into HQ to get software installed. And, you know, every user's got to be trained and, and, and profiled. And, you know, you don't have to do all this upfront work. It could be more of an organic Roll you can always yeah. start with default deny, and then whoever screams the loudest, you flip them on and then work down the list. Yeah, it's it's you not uh, you know me. that's a, that's how I do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't have the uh, the network security team, right? Uh, you know, worrying all weekend about their their phones blowing up because uh, right. you know the the whatever team can't uh, can no longer access what they need. I, I've been in I've been in that uh, situation in that role, and it's never fun for anybody. Right, you should have your weekends. Yeah. Mm. I, I just I like that because that sort of shows a maturity of product. A lot of uh, one of the things that we see with startups is that they have a limited sort of set of choices. You could have to do it their way or no way at all, sort of thing. And the thing that I, I sort of get from talking to you is that you've sort of been through all of this to some extent. You've been through the the what startups call product market fit, and they they you know how the product fits into customer lives, and you sort of know when you need to bend. And you found that the areas where customers get the most value from in that idea of, you know, putting it on a device and then coming back to retrofit security later, not, not what you want, but realistically what you can do and if, and incrementally step forward in security. So you can actually, um, I think you actually talked about breaking into the legal or into law firms who were notorious for being, uh, how shall I say it, uh, poor users of technology. Yeah, well, not, and and demanding users, right? And and yeah. I think that's the that's the key piece. Um, you know, is they are extremely demanding, but 
you know, if you can put a, a solution in place at and, and and satisfy those most demanding users that, you know, for them, technology is just it's a tool. It's not, you know, and, and if 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 you can put something in place that makes their life easier and just works and you know it, it's a huge win. Uh, and, and in the end, it, it, it allows those IT guys, right, to get less calls, to get less people mm. kind of, you know, uh, screaming at them. And, and that's really what, you know, what we aim to do, right? We, we aim to make it easy on the end user and, and by, by virtue, easier on the team supporting those end users. Uh, but at the same time, keeping it secure. Yeah, I, I, many years ago, uh, before computers, in fact, um, I used to be, I had a I spent uh, uh, the best part of a year doing repairs to dictaphones. And uh, I got intimately familiar with law firms because they used to dictate all their letters and then they'd go down to a central typing pool and they'd be typed up and then that would go out to the client or, you know, off to the courts or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And um, I must say that working with law firms was the most miserable experience of my, perhaps the most miserable experience of my entire working career because those people were deeply unpleasant to be around professionally. So if you can break into a law firm, then that sort of says something about your technology, I think at least. Yeah. Well, and like I said, it goes back to that, you know, we, you know, think about a police officer out there. We've been meeting their needs for, you know, nearly 20 years. And it's kind of like, they just need this stuff to work, right? Whenever they're, mm. they're literally life is on the line and and they're trying to look up, you know, a, a records or something on a, on a, a license plate or something that they need, like literally, you know, I think we're, we're the most successful whenever our, our, the end users don't even know we're there. They just know mm. that, that we've made things work better and the issues they had before are no longer happening. So Jay, I want to get a better sense of how the client interacts with the gateway. You mentioned the gateway at the start of the show. Um, do, do I need a gateway everywhere I need to get access? Or if, you know, I'm working with a SaaS app where you guys can't put a gateway, can I still get there? Can you describe the relationship? Where do I want to have a gateway and why? And how's the client interacting? Yep, it can it can depend. And we can support multiple, right, gateways that have, uh, you know, high availability built in and, and seamless, you know, failover and, and, and roaming. Um, but, you know, we do, obviously, because we provide a lot of optimizations, you know, around things like, uh, you know, that persistence and forward error correction, for example, for voice and video, right, to, to be able to make those, those voice and video uh, capabilities more resilient. You know, we, we definitely recommend putting it near where the majority of your applications are. So if you have, you know, if you want to do this for mostly cloud apps, then, you know, we would either provide it as a service for you as well. Or if, let's say, customers are moving to Azure, AWS, moving their data center there, you would just install us right in there with the, with the rest of those applications. So it, it, it can be a bit distributed and, uh, you know, we can have, we can be deployed across uh, any one of those models or on-prem for some customers that need that, right? For the customers that, that want, you know, to gain access to on-prem, let's say, it, but, but have many or, or still, you know, SaaS applications, we, we would say, hey, you can put us on-prem next to those, those legacy apps and, and actually not even have to, to tunnel or send that SaaS application traffic through the gateway, but we still give you a full visibility to it, right? So I, I'm being a little bit, I guess, ambiguous in the sense that we were a bit flexible based off of what the needs of the customers are. And I think that also lends itself well to kind of having that broad deployment model. So I want to make sure I, I, I want to walk through this so I make sure I understand. 
I get if I want to get, um, you know, heritage or legacy applications, the data center, set up a gateway and a client they connect, make the handoff, et cetera. But if I want to go, say, software as a service, I don't necessarily need to go through a gateway. If I'm comfortable with that model, I can just allow the client to connect to, you know, whatever Salesforce, setting up a regular TLS connection. The client's still there, but I'm not having to run through a NetMotion gateway to reach that endpoint, to reach the Yeah, that's asset. correct. Okay. So, yep, you don't have to run through. You can, right? And, and if you choose, and, and there are some controls, for example, from, you know, uh, the Salesforce side, for example, to say, hey, I want to make sure they're going through a NetMotion gateway before I gain access. Mm -hmm. You can let them go direct, and we're still going to gather and provide all the visibility to the Salesforce usage. And, and we can still say, let's just say, if, if you want to say, you know what, when you're on an unencrypted public Wi-Fi, we can still have control of that traffic as well without tunneling it. So we can okay. say, you know what, block traffic to Salesforce when you're on an unencrypted Starbucks Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I want to send it through the gateway in that case because you're on an unsecured network. Those are the kind of decisions that that policy engine is, is able to make on it, on the endpoint real time. Okay. And I could also have multiple gateways. So if I wanted a gateway on my premises and then a gateway, you know, some pop that you guys are running that's you know, sort of quote unquote near wherever my SaaS apps are, I can do that and touch both gateways as necessary depending on the destination. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. It can, it can, uh, you can, it, we can reach either one of those gateways. Okay. Good. All right. I was just trying to get mm. a picture of it in my head. Um, one question uh, that I've seen raised by various people is we're now seeing things like uh, with distributed work, we're also seeing people want to have control of users at the edge of the network. So if I'm in, and we talked before about campus or anti-campus, like the end of the campus, can I actually set it up so that I would get policy per network that I could connect to? So if I am actually connected to a corporate network, all of the VPN features get stripped out because the trust is assumed. But if I'm at home and I've got a call center operator, maybe I only want them to work from eight in the morning till six in the evening, but then have no access to resources out of hours. Yeah, so that, that, is, that is exactly how things work with our contextual policy engine, right? So we look at anything from what network you're on. So you mentioned, you know, somebody coming into the campus and connecting mm -hmm. to the campus network. You're exactly right. We can go into basically a passive mode. Uh, that says, you know what, I'm going to stay connected so that whenever they, you know, they don't have to think about remote connectivity when they move off campus. But yeah, we can go into passive mode, stay connected, right. let let the network do its thing. That's important because we talked before about having campus and not being on the campus. It's a seamless migration, whether they're on or off. It's not like they have to you do different things depending on where they are. Correct. Yeah, they don't even... I mean, they don't even have to think about whether they're on campus or off, right? We The policies are uh, adaptive to whatever network you're on. And then, you know, we make that decision that, you know, they, they go off campus, they go to Starbucks, home, cellular, we kick right back in and the user never has to think about it. And, and as you mentioned, you know, things like uh, what time of day, what, uh, what, again, what network you're on, what type of network, those are all those contextual policies that one, help us build that trust, but also help us uh, provide the best uh, network usage, right? So, uh, and, and make the best decisions on how we want to handle networking traffic based off of the networks they're on and the networks that they're using. I want to get a sense of, I assume at this stage in the game, uh, NetMotion isn't moving into a lot of greenfield opportunities. Folks 
lots of organizations already have VPN clients and they've been using VPN clients for months now. What's the process like if I've got one VPN or remote access solution and I'm thinking about bringing in NetMotion? How does that work? How do you help adjust that slider and bring bring you on board? Yeah, I mean, typically, right, most customers we work with have pretty mature device endpoint management solutions. So it's a pretty simple process, whether it's Windows, iOS, Android, or Mac, of, you know, just essentially deploying us, getting us ready using SCCM or, you know, uh, endpoint manager or AirWatch or MobileIron, right? Mm -hmm. Pick your your solution. Uh, we, We integrate with all of those and I've worked with each one of those major players to make sure that we work well. But I mean, essentially, it's a pretty simple process, right? We're, we're 100% software-based, both on the client and on, on the, uh, the gateway. So we can, we can be easily uh, stood up, uh, you know, using some simple uh, VMs, uh, typically, or in the cloud. But essentially, it's, you know, stand up our, our, our gateway, push out our, our client, and then typically, we'll just utilize those capabilities of the endpoint management solution to, uh, to, push us uh, a, a connection profile out, and then we automatically start. And uh, pro- typically, they'll maybe have another solution that they'll just pull that profile off. So it's a pretty seamless process. Okay, and then tell the end user, uh, when you start your day, click on this new application icon, not the old application icon you are using before. Yeah, if they have to, but to be quite honest, I think we're most successful whenever they don't even have to do that, right? We, we you know, on, on Windows, we can integrate with the login process. So, you know, you don't even really have to, quote unquote, start NetMotion. Uh, you, okay. can just, you can just have it start up as part, of, uh, as part of the login. And if we integrate with Active Directory, the user doesn't even know NetMotion's there. They just log in and, uh, you know, essentially it, it connects. So there is no having to fire up the VPN client and then, you know, eight hours later be like, oh, forgot to use the VPN. Sorry, security and networking mm-hmm. team. I did a whole bunch of stuff you didn't yeah. know about. Yeah, you're exactly right. And and on, you know, iOS and Android and Mac, we're actually seeing a lot of our customers utilizing cert-based authentication for those. So again, even for those, it's quite a seamless process where users sometimes don't even have to think about or put in authentication, right? Because they're they're under management mm-hmm. and they're enrolled in their endpoint management system. So there's that implicit trust there and then they push out a, a cert. So it can be very seamless. And, and the nice thing is, our solution adapts to all of that. So if you want to have, you know, the, the managed devices getting a cert based from the corporate CA and making the, the, the you know, user experience very simple, mm-hmm. we also can support the BYOD users that, you know, maybe we use a, a third party, you know, multi-factor solution, an Okta or a Duo or a, an Azure mm-hmm. MFA, you know, so we, we can adapt to any one of those user groups. But in the end, it's, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty broad and, and pretty flexible from providing access to, uh, to all those different uh, deployment types. When you, when you deal with security, because you're going to end up talking to the IT security team at some point, is there any sort of common objections that they throw up that you, can, that you would like to highlight to people? Like if I'm listening to this at this stage, I've been listening to us talk for you know, a good 45 minutes now, and the security team is probably going to throw up the same objections to regardless of what it is. What are the sorts of things that they throw up that you would say, here's an answer to? You know, I mean, I think security teams always obviously are a little bit resistant to change and that's understandable, right? They've, they, mm, yeah. you know, they go through a, 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 anytime you want to change something that they're comfortable with, there's just a lot of questions in that. I mean, certainly, um, you know, they want to ensure that, that, you know, we've, we've got the, 
you know, this, the proper encryption encryption type. So we typically mm. have to go through, you know, looking at, uh, you know, what type of encryption are you using, going through any kind of, uh, you know, Qualys scans or pen testing and that. So, uh, so I don't know that there's you normally- You said before a, that you had FIPS as well. So you actually have passed through the eye of that needle. We are, yeah. So we have, we're FIPS 140-2 with our encryption. And I think something a little bit unique to us that, that actually, you know, security guys love certifications. We're actually uh, common criteria ELA 4.0 certified. Oh, wow. And I think okay. we're one of the only, if not the only VPN that's certified on that across all of the major OSs. So that includes iOS, Android, well, Mac, and Windows. That's substantial because that gets you into a lot of federal and especially classified work. So where yeah. the requirements are extreme for uh, vendor security. So that is actually ve the vendor as a supply chain and ensuring that you as a vendor... <laughs> have been recent because EAL certification doesn't just include software certification. It also includes that it's, you are yeah. a fair and equitable organization to be trusted at some, some level. Yeah, it, it is very extensive and, and uh, it was quite the process I will say, but well <laughs> worth it because, you know, like you said, it's uh, it kind of, it, it goes into everything around how you're developing the software. I mean, it's a very thorough, you know, vetting mm. process. And also vets the company and the people in the company as well. So yeah. like the CEO and that sort of stuff, to maintain the EAL certification, you have to prove that you aren't a bunch of criminals. Or um, as is the case with many hosted uh, consumer VPN solutions, they're actually just a, either a team of kids at home or some, <laughs> a, a group of young people in Poland or Russia or China setting up a, a website and saying, oh, test our VPN. It's very good. You know, and they do a nice job on the website, hire somebody to do a good job on the website. But it's just by piping all the all the information back to China and Russia. I mean, Facebook did it. So EAL yeah. is part of that process of saying, you know, you're not Facebook. You're actually a trustworthy organization. That's <laughs> that's that's no mean feat. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's and you're right. That has been just kind of it's one of those kind of stamps of approval, right? Okay, if you've been through this, right? We you know yeah. we, we uh, that's a fairly high level military that gets you into military markets like defense. Mm -hmm. Uh, nuclear, that sort of stuff. If you have that, your product is automatically certified for as fit for purpose. Well, that kind of ends that. One last question, threat management and inspection. Do you integrate with third parties there or are you doing it yourself? So if I want to check the flows and look for known threat, or check out against a threat feed. Yeah, so we actually integrate with WebRoot for that. So all of our traffic mm -hmm. is, you know, at the endpoint, we look at, at all the requests and all of the, the network attempts. And uh, we actually integrate with WebRoot to, you know, utilize their, their AI and their databases to, you know, understand if the domains or the destinations are, you know, not only threat, like high risk, low risk, but they're, they're malware, phishing, right? So we categorize all of that data and can automatically block it or we can allow it and report on it. Um, so, you know, that's actually through WebRoot. But we do that not only for threat, but also for categorization. So, you know, mm -hmm. if you want to put in a, you know, uh, something that says, both from a productivity standpoint, maybe, you know, we don't want to allow streaming media when you're on the corporate network or on cellular, but yeah, it's okay if you're at home. Hours. Yeah, that contextual policy. Yeah, yeah, or during work hours, or or if it's HR related, right? Pornography, gambling, those sort of things. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, no, we integrate directly with and and have a, a feed, you know, an ongoing feed to our service from WebRoot uh, mm -hmm. to be able to look at that, you know, again, all those requests real time and make that decision right on the endpoint. So I don't have to suddenly put if I have that requirement, that's just a feature of the product, effectively. Exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's 
That's it's pretty comprehensive. Is there any, like I mean, every question I've thrown at you've kind of answered, including the ones that weren't on the sheet that we didn't prepare for. Um, <laughs> it does seem like the product is fairly comprehensive to me. So if, you know, I'd be interested to find out if anybody in the audience has a second opinion. You should get in contact with me directly. So one thing that we probably should, I don't know if we really mentioned it. We talked about all the optimizations and, and in general, the resiliency, but I mean, really at its core, one of the things that, that we've been known for and, you know, can't be understated is, is some, a couple of, you know, technologies we've patented that, around session persistence and application persistence. And one of the cool things here is, again, it just kind of goes to that providing a better employee experience. It's not something that's tangible to the employee, but what we do is we're actually able to hold that application session open both at the uh, at the gateway to the end resource and from the mm. client to the gateway. So if you go through an area of no connectivity or choppy connectivity or low connectivity where you're kind of thrashing back and forth, we actually are able to hold those application sessions open so they don't necessarily time out or return you know a, a, fa- a network failure. And so it actually, again, provides that ability uh, for us to... In the end, it's perceived as a better user experience, but you know, higher productivity, and uh, that—that's really at the core of that resiliency. That's why. So I mean, even though I might roam, we talked before about being resilient. So you could roam from network to network, but you're actually carrying the application persistence as I move around. That's exactly correct. Yeah. And so it's not, and the proxy is actually then stubbing that in some way. So it must be. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, there would be limits here. It's not an infinitely capable product, but the proxy is able to sub in and show you the keeper lies for most of the common protocols. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Okay. I mean, there, it's not, you know, you couldn't do it uh, forever, but, you know, you got something like uh, Telnet out there. We all love Telnet, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you can let that thing, <laughs> you, could, you could shut your laptop for two days and open it back up and we wouldn't drop that session, right? So uh, all right. it's okay. kind of funny. Not sure if that's a feature or the, or that would be a security risk in the modern era, but I get the point. I get the point. Tell them that's not their fault. <laughs> that's right, yes. So, Jay, we're, we've come to the end of our time. Uh, if people are curious about NetMotion, they want to find out more, where would you send them? Yeah, so uh, hopefully this was helpful. And if they have any uh, you know questions or just want to find out more, there's a, a NetMotion SDP report available. If you go to netmo.io slash packet pushers, uh, you can register and get your copy for that. Okay, that's netmo, N-E-T-M-O dot I-O slash Packet Pushers. Register and get your copy of the SDP report. Uh, Thank you, Jay, for being with us. And thank you, Netmotion, for being a sponsor. If you like this show, you can find this and many more fine free technical podcasts along with our community blog. That's at PacketPushers.net. You can follow us on Twitter at Packet Pushers. Find us on LinkedIn, like us on Facebook, and rate us on Apple Podcasts. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.